talking about the power by resurrection from ascension. Last week, we talked about three understandings and the three corresponding keys that, that are necessary so that you and I may function in the power of God and have continual victory. Amen? So first, first, first understanding, first, you have, you need to know that you have all victory in Christ. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. And it says, thanks be to God who has given you the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Lord Jesus Christ, by virtue of what he has done, because of the sacrifice. He has given unto you all victory and all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So you have the victory. But you must see the victory continually by faith, and that is the key. You must see the victory continually by faith, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And this is the victory that overcometh. Even our faith. Amen? Secondly, the second understanding is that you must know what is the truth. John 8.32 says you shall know the truth, be intimate with the truth, and that truth will produce freedom, liberty in your life. It will break the bondages. It will remove the limitations. It will produce freedom. So Christ himself is the truth. You got to know the truth. Christ himself is, is the truth. Who Christ is, is the truth. What Christ has done is the truth. What Christ is doing is the truth. Now, who Christ is, what he has done, what he is doing, is all understood when you can grasp what Jesus finished in his sacrifice. When you can grasp and understand what he finished and what he accomplished by his sacrifice, you will get a clarity of understanding of who he is, what he has done, and even what he is doing and saying. Amen? All right. Now, that being the case, the key that comes out of that understanding of truth is, the second key is this, is for you to live in continual victory, is that you now must mix faith with the truth. Hebrews 4 verse 2 says that the, the, the word preached, the gospel preached, the truth preached, did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith. So it is a necessary key that you, you find out what the truth is, but then you must mix faith with the truth. Amen? Or else it will not do you any good. It will just be an intellectual exercise and stimulation. Now the third understanding is that you must know you must know that the result of the gospel, the result of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That means wholeness, deliverance, preservation, prosperity. What comes out of the gospel, that is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1 verse 16. Now, the result of the gospel for you for you is to us that believe it is the power of God. To us that believe, to us that believe. The power of the gospel, the result of the gospel for you is this. It's Christ, the power of God living in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Christ is the power of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Christ in you is the hope of glory, Colossians 1, 27. From the time God called you from your mother's womb, it was to reveal his son in you, God said to Paul, and that you might preach him among the Gentiles. Preach who? Christ in you. So you see, the, 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 the gospel for you, the gospel to you, the power of God to you is when you are able to receive and function in the reality that Christ is in you. And he is the power of God living through you. That is your gospel. That is what is profitable for you. So then, the key that comes out of this understanding for you to live in continual victory is for you to live Galatians 2.20. Meaning what? You must live that it's no longer you that live, but it is Christ that liveth in you. And the life that you now live, you live this life by the faith of the Son of God who loved you, gave himself for you, died and was sacrificed so that you can have his life living in you and through you and get rid of that old life. Crucified, dead and gone. You got to live Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 cannot just be, again, an intellectual exercise and stimulation. It must become a living reality and experience for you. And that's what it's all about. I believe personally, I will go on record as saying, Galatians 2.20 is the most important scripture in all of the Bible for the believer to get a hold of, master, and live in. The most important scripture. Yes, I thank God for John 3.16 and, and many other scriptures, but that is the most fundamental, instrumental, um, um, a, a central truth that you must get a hold of. Hallelujah. All right. So, you are crucified with Christ, never let you live, but it's Christ that liveth in you. So those are the three understandings and the three keys that came out of last week's message that we must have, uh, that we must apply and function in, in order to have continual victory and live in the power of God. Hallelujah. Now, and I'm, I, I'm just, just to reflect a little further on Galatians 2.20. Man, I don't know if I could emphasize this enough, but let me say this. If you were to meditate in Galatians 2.20, every day you would still be getting revelation out of that verse years from now. You would still be getting for the insight, for the understanding, for the comprehension out of Galatians 2.20 if you were meditating in it every day from this day forward because there is so much treasure and power in there. I, I personally, my own testimony is that I have, I, I, I have, my wife knows this, I have, 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 have meditated in this verse for several years. And it is amazing to me how I will see things in it that I did not see before. Amen? So, and, and, and this is what I'm desiring for you. There is an unveiling of this verse that needs to be a reality in your life. And the Holy Ghost has been assigned to you as your teacher to unveil and to unveil these things unto you. Amen? So the first thing you must do is this. In order to get a hold of, the, of what's in this verse and the revelation of it, because it is your life, 
You must dare, now hear me, you must dare to believe this verse exactly as it is written. Believe this verse literally and you believe it even before you understand it. It says you were crucified. You were crucified. You were and you are crucified, dead, buried with Christ. Believe that for what it says. And it's no longer you that live, but it is Christ that liveth in you. And the life you now live, it is the life of Christ. And you live it by the faith of the Son of God. Believe that. You don't have to understand it to believe it. Believe it first and understand it later. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says, Through faith we understand. Through faith we understand. In other words, your faith needs to come before your understanding. Believe before you understand, and the Holy Ghost, who is faithful, will unveil it unto you. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7, Consider what I say, and the Lord give you understanding. What comes first? The considering, then the understanding. The faith, then the understanding. I'm saying to you, dare to believe this verse of Scripture. Meditate in it, and God will open it up, up to you. Amen. You see, you cannot do what you don't know. And you cannot speak what you don't hear. Does that make sense? Jesus said, I speak what I hear. And I do what I see my father do. We don't have it easier. (laughs) Amen? All right. So, hear me now. I want you to see this and I want you to receive this. In Colossians 2 verse 12... The essence of it, basically, is that God, by the act of God, that old man, that old you, was crucified, died, and buried. And I'm not speaking figuratively. I'm talking literally. By the act of God, by God's faith and the action he took, when, he, when Jesus was laid on the cross 2,000 years ago, what happened is that old you died and was died with Christ, was buried with Christ, so that that old person no longer exists. You know, when people die, you bury them. Get rid of the body. So since he no, no listen to this now, hear this, he no longer, if I believe that scripture, I'm crucified, dead, buried, cease to exist. If I believe that, And that's what the word of God says. I choose to believe that. Say, I choose to believe that. So, watch this. So, if you no longer exist, if he no longer exists, he cannot be affected by anything. How can he be affected by anything when there is no he? He is not here. So what is going to affect him if he's not here? He's not here to be affected. The only one that is here is Christ. It's now his life. Is he affected? (laughs) Right? Does he react? No, he only responds. He's not affected. So capture this. I know it's a little bit whatever, but you got to take it. Amen. You got to take this. He cannot. he He is not here. And I'm only saying this because the Lord showed this to me. Amen? 
He cannot be affected by the past. He cannot be affected by history, by circumstances, by situations, by environment, by people, by the world. By He is not affected by his own ambition. He doesn't have any because there's no him. He is not affected by his own will, his own goals. He doesn't exist. If he's not, he doesn't exist, he is not affected by offense. How can you offend him? There is no him. How can he, there be unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment and, and who did what? There is no him. Say, I'm dead. <laughs> I'm crucified with Christ. I believe that. Is that what God says? <laughs> Amen. I'm telling you, I know this is the truth. All right. Okay, let's continue. Now, because this is so, you got to see God, the spirit of God is not playing games. Because this is so, here comes the instruction. God, therefore, says, God, the Holy Ghost, therefore, says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, reckon yourself to be dead indeed, but alive unto God. Reckon yourself to be dead indeed, but alive unto God. Can I say something else? If you do not reckon yourself to be dead indeed and alive unto God, and you're operating from somewhere else, sorry, but you're being double-minded. And to be double-minded is to be in a place where you cannot receive from the Lord. Amen? So there, there's, you know, there, there are so many scriptures that can back up each of these points. You're dead to this, dead to that, dead to the other. We don't have time right now. Second Corinthians, that is why Paul, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he says, I die how long? How often? I die daily. And I said, the scriptures that back this all up. Old things have passed away. They passed away. Therefore, forget those things which are behind. I'm talking about people being dead to you and them being dead and crucified. I didn't make that up. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, The love of Christ constrains us and God is love. And thus judges that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Does that include people? That's what it says. So suppose you believe that verse. Suppose, oh, I'm getting off track here. Because I'm trying to preach this and I shouldn't be. Not, not, not if we're going to get where we need to. But what I am simply saying is when you take the reality, I'm crucified to people, people are crucified to me, I'm dead, who cares about my reputation? What does my will have to do with it? They don't know me. And what about you if you're crucified to me? I mean, I love you and everything else, but I don't see you after the flesh. Are you with me? Amen? And as much as I will bless you and pray for you and do all of that, I'm not living my life for the will of men, for your will or for anybody else's will. And my, my meat is to do the will of God. I'm living for the will of God. This is the reality of this new mind of Christ that is in me and that is in you. Amen? And if I'm dead and you're dead, who's going to intimidate who? <laughs> right? 
How can I be subject or how can you be subject to manipulation from someone that is dead that you reckon dead? And we can go on. The scripture also says in Galatians 6 verse 14, you are dead to the world. There are people that are so concerned about their works and their good deeds. Well, the word of God says you are dead to the law by the body of Christ. Romans 7 verse 4, Galatians 2 verse 19. Some people being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they go about trying to heap up their own righteousness. Rather than submit to the free gift of righteousness that is ours in Christ. Romans 10 verse 3. Are you with me? Okay, I'm just saying a little bit of that. Just to point out the reality, you're dead. And if you are dead and you don't exist, then there is nothing that could be against you. Nothing. I mean, this is so, if, there, if it's true that there is, you're dead, nothing can be against you whatsoever, nothing can, nothing whatsoever, then, then maybe there could be a verse in the Bible, in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 15, that says, all things are for your sakes. All things are for your sakes. There could be a verse in the Bible that says, all things will work together for your good. For them, to, because you love God and you are called according to his purpose. And his purpose is that you be conformed to the image of Christ. Are those verses in the Bible? Are you with me? I'm just trying to make this point em emphatically. Why? What is this coming out of? This is coming out from the first half of Galatians 2 verse 20. You are crucified with Christ. Amen? And that is a part of the gospel. And that is the power of God. Now, today in this lesson, what we're going to be doing is we're going to move on and we're going to talk about the second half of that verse. It's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that lived in you. We're going to talk about functioning in God's power that is already yours. Christ in you, the power of God. Christ in you, the wisdom of God. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. As many as receive him to them, give ye power to become the sons of God. The same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead dwells in you. What is the exceeding greatness of that power? We're going to talk about functioning in, that, in God's power that is already on the inside of you. And functioning in that power, not by death and burial, we're done with that. But by resurrection. Functioning in that power that is yours through the resurrection and ascension. But now watch this. That resurrection works when, this is a funny statement, but I have to make it. I need to make it. Oh, we talk about I must know him and the power of his resurrection, but also the fellowship of his suffering. That resurrection power works when, and I would even say only when, you function as who you are in Christ and when you function from where you are in Christ. You must function from who you are, which is Christ in you. Christ is now your life. You've got to function from him. And you must function from where you are. Where you are in Christ is not sitting in this room. Where you are is, in Christ is not under the weather. It's not under the circumstances. Where you are in Christ is that you have been seated 
at the Father's right hand in Christ. You are in the place of ascension. So you must function from who you are, and the life of Christ is now your life, and you must function from where you are, which is the place of ascension. Summarize it, you must function from the ascended life of Christ. When you function there, that's when the power of resurrection shall be released. Amen. And when you don't, you are being double-minded. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. Let's talk about that some more. Without receiving and actually applying that you are indeed crucified, dead, buried, and no longer exists. Without applying that, the victory that is rightfully yours, the fulfillment of the promises of God, will only happen in a very limited measure. If you ponder this, you will see that when you do not operate in the reality that it's no longer you that exists, but it's Christ that lived in you, then what will happen is these wonderful, glorious, precious promises and all that God desires for you to have and the victories that you are to walk in, you only get a little bit of a dab of that. And that is the reason why the lives of many Christians, when you examine their testimony, and when they are honest about their testimony of their life, their life is, is a track record, quite often, of unanswered prayers. People come with a problem, and you talk to them, and, you, and, and they share this, and they share that, and they share that, and all this other stuff. Six months later, Two years later, nothing much has changed. Why? Why? Because the foundation is messed up. What is the foundation? You're crucified. It's no longer you, but it's Christ that lived in you. Amen? Believers are trying to function in the life of Christ, but they're trying to function in that life of Christ, but from the old self. And therein, they are being double-minded. Believers are dealing with the challenges of life from the problem instead of from where they are seated in the place of ascension. That's called double-minded. In James chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says, let there be nothing wavering, because he that wavers is like the wave of the sea that is driven by winds, and it is tossed to and fro. And it says, for let not that man, that wavering man, let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. In other words, the fruit of his life, the fruit of his prayer life will not be that which God had designed and ordained, which is victory. Amen? All right. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. For we, we are often thinking, speaking, and acting 
from double-mindedness. James put it this way in James 4, verse 3. It says you, he says, you ask and you have not because you ask amiss. So the result is we experience a lot of prayer failures. Because even if you go back in the passage in James 1, where it says 6 and 7, let him not be double-minded. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Let him not think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Verse 5, the verse before that, says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. That is talking about prayer life. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask God. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Because he that wavers is as the wave of the sea, tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. Let him not think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So what happens when we function in from that double-minded place? And then especially when we don't even know it. What happens? We get frustrated. We believe, well, we're praying, we're praying, but God isn't hearing me. I haven't heard from God. God hasn't moved. How many times you hear believers say, you know, I mean, they're seeking God, they're fasting, they're praying. They're, I mean, they're, they're, they're going through all that, and you'll hear them. They, are, they haven't heard from God. What do you mean you haven't heard from God? How come you haven't heard from God? The word of God says, my sheep hear my voice. So what happened? Maybe we're in a place where we're not able to hear, and that's because it's in that double-minded place. Are you with me? Now, I know this is a little bit serious. This is not a nice, this is not, very ticklish, right? Uh, 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 and, you know, but it is still the truth. Our life is not to be, a, especially our prayer life, is not to be, to be one of frustration. God wants you to live in that place where today I hear his voice. And the voice of a stranger I will not follow. Today I hear this is the way, walk ye in it. You want to be the place where God can cause his glorious voice to be heard. Amen. But that is not in the place of wavering and wandering. And the place of wavering and wandering is not the place of ascension. The place of ascension where you're functioning out of who you are. You're functioning out of the life of Christ and you're speaking from that place. I mean, people want to talk. We want to talk to mountains and command the mountains to move but we are talking to the mountains from the natural. It's not going to obey you. Amen? The reason why the sons of Sceva should not, should not cast out that demon, even though they, they were saying the right words, in the name of Jesus whom Paul speak about, nothing was wrong with that statement, but they didn't know that Jesus. They weren't speaking from in him. They weren't speaking from the place of ascension. They weren't speaking from the life of Christ. Well, what difference is it for us if we're not speaking from that life and from that place? Are you with me? I'm trying to get off of this, but the Lord seems to have me standing here for a bit. So somebody must need it, amen? But I say it in love and I say it in gentleness as best as I can. So the success... Of, uh, of your victory walk, it begins with I am crucified with Christ. Amen? And that I am crucified with Christ, that is just 
one half of Galatians 2.20. The next half is that the life you live is the life of Christ. That I am crucified with Christ is just a quarter, one quarter of the sacrifice of Christ. What am I talking about? The sacrifice of Christ has eight distinct aspects. Dead, crucified, number one. Buried, number two. Resurrection, number three. Ascension, number four. The blood of Christ, number five. The, the name of Jesus that we have as a result, number six. The life of Christ living in you and through you, number seven. And then number eight, the word of the living God. So when we talk of death and burial, that is just one quarter of the sacrifice. Now what is so wonderful is that even that one quarter is enough to shut you down, shut self down, shut people down, shut everything that was against you down. Woo, glory to God. Isn't that good? <laughs> anyway, well, praise the Lord. But now, the second, one other thing. Now, you know how it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? What? All things have passed away. That is, that is in total agreement. But you've been crucified, and everything that is against you has come to an end. That is in total agreement with death and burial. All things have passed away. But I wonder what about the second half. Say the second half. <laughs> and the, fun, the thing about it is that the second half is so much greater. Amen? The second half of Galatians 2.20. It's no longer you that live, but it is Christ that lives in you. It is now Christ living inside of you. And that must become a real experience. And it will become a real experience when you have the condition of death and burial in place. And then now you apply the other six aspects of the sacrifice that you are resurrected with him. You ascended with him and sat at his father's right hand. You have been washed by his blood and planted in this new covenant. And you now have the name of Jesus, the, the very authority that you can operate in and live through. And you now have the life of Christ living in you and through you. And you have the word of the living God. The divine utterances of God and the promises of God. When you apply those other six from the place that you're dead and buried, then what will happen? Christ living in you and living through you will become your experience. And that's what it's all about. This gospel was not supposed to be a theory. Or it was not supposed to be an intellectual exercise. It was not supposed to be an exercise in memorization of scripture. This gospel is to be lived. It is Christ that wants to live his life in you and through you. God says, I will dwell in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. God in man and man in God. I in him and him in me. That we might be one. That they might be one in us. We got to live. This got to be a reality. We got to live this stuff. And then the second half of that scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 becomes real. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God. Amen. Glory to God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, today's lesson, where, we, where exactly are we going? Which is really 
the, the real, today's lesson really is about the second half of Galatians 2.20. Living the life of Christ by the power that comes out of resurrection, but it flows from the place of ascension. Power by resurrection from ascension. Now, we're going to deal with the other aspects, the blood, the name, the life of Christ, the word of God, and, and, um, and what else? And, and, I think, and I think I'm leaving out some other one. We will deal with the other, yeah, the other four. We will deal with the, the blood and the life and the name and the, and the word of God. We will deal with those later. But right now, for the rest of this, we're going to focus on the power that flows out of resurrection from the place of ascension. Is that all right? Are you ready? Fasten your seatbelts. Are you on flight? Amen. Glory to God. <laughs> I was just going to say, anyway, you got a passport? I mean, <laughs> this is a different passport. Anyway, watch it, watch it. Watch it, Ian. Watch it. Don't go off track. Stay, stay put. No political statements or any other such thing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I speak in the name of Jesus. I speak from the life of Christ. Glory to God. <clears throat> Man, that took some resistance. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, let's continue. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about power of resurrection from ascension. So first of all, your new life is from resurrection. That's an issue you've got to have it settled. Christ is your life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, had begotten us again. He has gotten us born again unto a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You've been born again to a living hope. And that includes the fact that you're born again to an inheritance that is incorruptible. You are born again to the authority of the name of Jesus. You are born again to, 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 to Christ himself is that hope. But you are born again to this new life. This new life began in resurrection. Say, I begin in resurrection. So because of that, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 says that you are dead. You died. And your old life is gone and buried. And guess what? Now your new life is hidden with Christ in God. You are dead. The old life is gone, and your new life is hidden with Christ in God. It is so tied, died, and baptized into Christ. It can, you, that's where your new life is. It's, it's in Christ. It's hid. It's hid with Christ. Man, when God hides something, there ain't nobody going to find it. Amen? So where's your new life? It's in Christ with God. So that being the case, it therefore says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17, that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. One spirit. It therefore says in Hebrews 2, verse 11, he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all one. Jesus is the head. We are the body. The head and the body are one. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. The vine and the branches are one. They have the same life. They have the same DNA. They have the same name. 
Amen? Say we are one. Hallelujah. So Romans 6, 3 and 4 explains it like this. It says you were baptized or immersed, tie-dyed into Jesus Christ. And hence, you were also baptized, tie-dyed, and immersed into Jesus' death. And you were also buried with him by that same baptizing, immersion, faith of God process. You were also buried with him. And at the same time, I mean, the old man died, buried, gone. But then what happened is you were also resurrected with Christ. You were resurrected with Christ. And you were resurrected with him, and now you have his life. Therefore, you ought to live in the newness of that life. In the reality of being resurrected with him and having that resurrection life. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says, God the Father, by his own act and faith, had raised you and I up together. Say together. Together with Christ and made us. He made us to what? Sit together. Say together. With Christ. Where? In heavenly places. Where? In Christ. What heavenly places? The place of ascension. Say, God did it. Say it. God did it. I accept it. The life of Christ is now my life. And I am seated with Christ at the Father's right hand in the place of ascension. I live and I function out of the ascended life of Christ. Amen? All right. So, Colossians 3 verse 4 therefore goes on to say, you are dead, your life is hid with Christ in God, and then it says, when Christ who is your life shall appear. When Christ who is your life. When Christ who is your life. This is a pen. The pen is this. Is that deep? This is a pen. The pen is this. Well, when Christ, who is your life, your life is Christ. Get it? So that's my life. That's my new identity. And I'm going to honor it. Amen. So don't betray who you are. <laughs> don't betray who you are. Christ is your life. 1 John 4, 17 confirms it. And John, 1st epistle, chapter 4, 1st epistle of John, chapter 4, verse 17, John confirms it by the Spirit of God. And listen to what he says. He says, as Jesus is, so are you in this world. Colossians 3, verse 10 and 11, decide they're going to put a, another spin on it. You know what he says? Put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. And then it goes on to say a wonderful statement. Christ, 
is all in all. That means if you've got peace inside of you, Christ is that peace. Joy, he is that joy. It's the joy of the Lord. It's the peace of God. Oh, you got some love in this new creation? Well, guess what? It is the love of God. Christ is all and in all. That means he is each and every. It's the each is added up that makes the all. If he's all, then he's each. <laughs> is that okay? Come on. Come on. There is spiritual mathematics. And the spiritual mathematics is accurate. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. All right. Going right along. So say Christ is now my life. Christ is your life. Christ is your new identity. Now because that is so, listen to Hebrews, Ephesians chapter 4, 22 to 24. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 says, you are to strip off the old man with his conversation. Strip him off. I mean like, like get sandpaper. Get a blowtorch. You know, like you sand a piece of rough piece of furniture. He says, strip it off. Get it off. Get off the old man. Get off the way he thinks, the way he speaks, the way he acts. Get him off with all of his history and all. Just get him off. Strip him off. And then it goes on to say in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Let your whole mind be renewed. Renewed to what? Verse 24, to this new man that is created in righteousness and true holiness. Be renewed to the mind of Christ. Re be renewed to the life of Christ that is in you. It is when you are renewed, when your mind is no longer conformed to the world, but it has been stripped from all of that baggage, all of that old man, all of that, all of that stuff. And when this mind has been renewed, that is when, according to Romans 12 2, that's when you're going to be able to prove and experience God's good, perfect, and acceptable will. But unfortunately, it also means that when the mind is not renewed, and when you're in some place of double-mindedness, you will not be able to fully prove and experience his good, perfect, and acceptable will. Are you with me? Amen? Yes, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Isn't that right? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Well, it says the promises of God are yes and amen. Where? In Christ. Where is that? In Christ. Say in Christ. Oh, in here, all the promises are yes, amen, absolute certainty. So the essence of, the essence of, this, of righteousness that we talk about, I'm teaching it today, but I'm not teaching it today. But the essence of righteousness of God, where it says Jesus was made to be sin, that you are made the righteousness of God in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, when it speaks in Romans 5, 17, that by one man's offense, death came upon all men, but how much more they that will receive the abundance of grace, receive it and recognize it and take it as their own, and they will receive and embrace the free gift of righteousness, they shall reign in this life by one Jesus Christ. By virtue of that new life that you have on the inside, by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross, so the reality of this righteousness really is about the oneness that you have with God in Christ. Christ is now your life. That's righteousness. First Corinthians 1 verse 30 says, Christ of God is made unto you wisdom and he's made unto you righteousness. Oneness with God. Say oneness with God. 
Now in John chapter 17, verse 21 to 23, Jesus prayed. And Jesus, Jesus prayed and he said, um, where are you? Come on, where are you? Anyway, Jesus prayed in John, John chapter 17. And Jesus said, Father, I pray for them. Not for the world, but I pray for them, Father. I pray that they might be one, even as you, Father, are in me. And I in you, that they may be one in the same way. They may be one in us. And the glory which you have given to me, I've given it to them. What for? That they may be one. How? Just as we are one. The essence of righteousness is this oneness. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. And this is what all came together when you were born again, so that he, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Say one spirit. Say I am one. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So Jesus said, <laughs> okay, hallelujah. All right. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 to 15, and I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the same thing, which is the life of Christ is now your life. You have a oneness with God in Christ. But you've got to identify this is my life. It's the life of Christ. Old man, dead, crucified, buried, and this is not my life. We're talking about Galatians 2.20 still, amen? 1 John 5, verse 11 to 15, the apostle John writes, and he said, this is, and by the way, eternal life is the life of God. Eternal life is the nature of God. Eternal life is the life of Jesus. Jesus came that we might have that life and have it more abundantly. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we might have what? eternal life, that we might have what? The life of his son, that we might have what? His nature, his life. So in 1 John 5, 11 to 15, it says this is, this is the record that God had given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his son. He that had the son had life, and he that does not have the son of God has not life. That means if you're not born again, you cannot have this life except you be born again. So if you out there and you're not born again right now, if I were you, I would say, Jesus, I believe you've been raised up from the dead. And I receive you into my heart. I receive you into my life. I surrender to you. And the moment you do that, you get born again, and the life of Christ now becomes your life. It goes on to say, these things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you might know that you have eternal life. I guess they were born again, believing in the name of the Son of God, but even though they were born again, they weren't aware that they have this eternal life. They weren't aware that the life they now have is the life of Christ. Then they weren't aware that divinity dwelt on the inside of them. So Paul, John is writing this to believers. You that believe in the name of the Son of God, I write these things unto you that you might know, be aware, and be totally conscious of the fact that you have eternal life, which is the life of God, which is the life of Christ, which is divine nature. And then it goes on to say that this is the confidence that we have. Amen? Amen. So, John emphasizes that. That in this life of Christ, that you've got the life of Christ. And in this life of Christ is the glory of God, the power of God, the very fullness of God. Christ in you is the hope of glory. But don't forget, you can't really function in this life of Christ 
if you're not crucified with him. Jesus says, if you died with me, then you can live with me. Except, <laughs> Jesus said, you cannot be my disciples and you can't be where I am, except you do what? Take up your cross. How often? Daily. And do what? Follow me. And then he says in Matthew 24 and verse 25 about taking up your cross. You know what he says about that? He says, deny, deny what? Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Act like if self doesn't even exist because it doesn't. It was crucified, remember? Reckon yourself to be dead indeed. So Jesus says, deny yourself. And then listen to what he goes on to say. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake, he shall find it. What is he saying? You got to give up your earthly natural life, that self-life. That's the only way. That's the first step to really having my life as your life. Say, Jesus is my life. Say, I settle it. Christ is my life. Amen. Now, anything else that is contrary to what I've just spoken, quite frankly, is a deception. It's a heavenly lie. Might be an earthly truth, but it's a heavenly lie. It's a deception. This new life that you now have, it began in resurrection. That's why Paul cried out that I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Now, this is awesome. It is absolutely awesome that this new life has begun in resurrection, and this is, this is how it is. But even though the power is from resurrection, it actually functions from ascension. Did you hear that? It actually functions from ascension. Ascension. Say ascension. Remember when Jesus was in there, came out from the tomb, and Mary saw him and approached him and thought he was the gardener. And Jesus said this to her in John 20 and verse 17. He said, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Because I have not yet ascended to my father and to your father, to my God and, and, and your God. What was that all about? It basically, it meant that there was something more that needed to be done that needed to take place that was beyond resurrection. That something else was ascension. Ascension changes the dynamic of the body of Christ totally. Totally. Without ascension, we would not, we would be healed because you were healed when he bore your sicknesses and carried your diseases through death and burial. We would be healed, but we would have no power to maintain our healing. We would be forgiven. But without ascension, you would have no power to walk in holiness. You would have no power to make God's enemies his footstool. <laughs> ascension is where Jesus has been seated and we have been seated with him. You have been seated with him in ascension. It is where Jesus was endowed, authorized, and given the name which is above every name, the most excellent name. It is in the place of ascension where he was made heir of all. It was in that place. It is there where, and it, quite frankly, and it is in, and it is in that place we have been made heir of all things. And it is in that place that you and I have been made joint heirs 
with him to all things. It is where we have the authority of the name of Jesus to pray in, to function in, to rule over the devil with, to rule over the environment and over the circumstances. The scripture says in John 20 and verse 31 that we have life through that name. Colossians 3.17 says whatever you do, do it in that name. Whatever you do. Ascension is the place where Jesus is empowered and where all that Jesus is, all that Jesus has, all that he is and all that he has, he is in, he is in you and through you. When God gave you Jesus, he also freely gave you all things. That's why Colossians 2.10 says, you are complete in him. Ascension. Ascension is a position. It's a position that you live from. It's not only where you've been raised to. And we've got to get that. Ascension is being seated, being endowed, being authorized, being empowered. It is living from the very throne of God. That's where you speak to your mountains from. That's where you pray from. Hebrews 10 verse 19 and 20 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way, a new and a living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. Jesus says, by my blood and by my sacrifice, this is how it works. This is where you are to live. It is in this way that you are able to come in the holiest of holies, and you're not supposed to leave. You're supposed to live here and function from here. It's called the new and living way, Hebrews 10, verse 20. A scripture that needs to be highlighted a, a lot more than it, had, than it is in the preaching of the word. This is where, now, <laughs> check this out. In this place of ascension, this is where the greatest unveiling of the blessings of God is. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, this is where you are blessed with what? Every spiritual blessing in heavenly place in Christ. Oh man, you see how important this place of ascension is? Christ, this is where the life of God, now this is where the life that God had designed for you from before the foundation of the world, this is where that life is. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that you are his workmanship. You are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works which God had preordained and prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Where is it coming from? You can't have this. We can't live this. Not without functioning from the place of ascension. Amen? Say, I live here. Say it again. I live here. You see, everything outside, everything outside of that is a shadow. This is the real stuff. So let me conclude this. Now, we're going to pick up on this next week, Lord willing. But let me close this here. 1 John 5, 18 says, We know that whosoever, whosoever is any one of us, it includes a brand new Christian. Amen? 
It includes the one that is still stumbling around and operating in carnality. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself. And that's where the separation comes in. Keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. It's available to every believer. So what is all of that saying? Let me put it this way, in the context of this message. When you know who you are, whose you are, when you know what you have, when you know where you are, and when you function from in Christ, the ascended life in Christ, the evil one touch you not. Let me describe it to you this way. Imagine, here is a thief in the neighborhood, and this is your house. There's a couple of houses up the street. But your house, it has a sign. Heaven security. It has a sign. It has two big, bulky bodyguards standing on each side. Weighing about 248 pounds, six foot seven, all muscle. And then you have a, about four or five ravenous dogs circling around in the yard. And then you also have a security system that has a heat-seeking mobile cruise missile on every corner of the house. <laughs> and any point that attempts to enter illegally, pew, boom, it just takes care of them. And you at, and the thief comes down the street looking to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you think he'll come into that house? No, he's not going to go to that house. He's not stupid. He's going to go to some other house. So here, 1 John 5, 18, let me read it again. When you know who you are, Whoever is born of God sinneth not, and the evil one touches him not. When you know who you are, and what you have, and where you are, and, where, and you know how to function from in Christ, from the ascended life of Christ, the evil one touches you not. Do you believe that? Amen. So, what is the conclusion of all of this? You need to determine, and you need to make up your mind that you're going to believe Galatians 2.20, and you are going to live Galatians 2.20 so that it's Christ living in you and you've been crucified.